Welcome, everybody, to Table Talk. This is your healthy theological radio addiction. Adam Aline's here with me, Brent Kuhlman, and so is Clint Poppy. Now, gentlemen, you know what's interesting in the history of the church? Since tell we, me, tell me. Well, you know, we've been, we've been rejoicing in holy baptism for a few months. And you just can't help rejoice. You have to keep on rejoicing in this. And so, you know, as I thought about this some more, as, as it's interesting that in the history of the church, especially in the early church, like the first three, four centuries, you had some Christians who said, you know what, there's only one chance of repentance. You know, you can only repent once. And, and connected with that was they would wait to be baptized until they were on their deathbed. And the reason for that was is that, okay, you get baptized and there's only one chance of repentance, you see. Uh, so we're going to make sure that we're baptized towards the ends of our life so that, you know, we don't go to hell. Isn't that interesting how that works? That, that's not what the Bible teaches. Do you realize that? No, it's, it's very sad. It's very sad. But this was very well. popular. And Adam, you know, you're the better um, uh, historian than I am. I, oh, I just fly by the seat of my pants with everything that I do. You know, theology is just kind of like a side thing for me. You know, I, I do other <laughs> things really seriously. But, but uh, wasn't, wasn't the, the Roman emperor Constantine, uh, didn't he wait to be <clears throat> baptized until he was on his deathbed? Yeah, he did, and um, he he was baptized uh, as he shortly is soon going to die, and there's some who say that's because uh, that's when he converted. There's others who say, well, he was inventing the uh, Christian religion. That's the whole Da Vinci Code business, <laughs> and all that is really intellectually dishonest. Um, it is kind of a thing for rulers that they misunderstood baptism, and you can understand the church is new at this point. People are still learning the doctrine as it's being taught, and with Constantine, you have an enormous expansion of the church uh, as it becomes a legal religion and then kind of the de facto uh, default religion of the Roman Empire. Of the deep state. And and so, <laughs> well, I mean, there's problems with that, too, oh, that yeah, come yeah, about. Yeah, a right. lot that's of people yeah. convert that maybe don't actually believe for political purposes. And uh, anyways, back to the, the point. Sorry. Um, with this expansion of Christianity and not clear teachings on uh, all the, the doctrines, there was the idea that baptism forgives your sins, which is true, but that it's like uh, forgiving all the sins that take place before your baptism. And so if you're a ruler, you have this idea that it befits you to wait until you're about to die to be baptized so that you don't have as many sins that come about necessarily from being a ruler. Like, um, driving an army into a, a territory and killing people and slaughtering them to preserve the state. Uh, if that's on your your docket, on your list of sins, you want to wait until all those things have been accomplished to be baptized. And, of course, behind this is a misunderstanding of baptism. And it continued throughout a lot of the Middle Ages. Even uh, right now I'm listening to a podcast about the history of England and some of the early um, Anglo-Saxon English kings themselves waited until almost death to be baptized because of that same misunderstanding of what uh, um, what Scripture teaches. And so the Scriptures, uh, like, for example, Romans 6, teaches that to live in and from your baptism is to repent and to believe. Not, not to just have one-time repentance in your life, but the baptismal life is about the daily death of the old Adam, our old sinful nature, and the daily resurrection or emergence, if you will, of the new man, spelled F-A-I-T-H, so that you can live before God in righteousness and purity. Yeah, and I think where we struggle, too, to understand this idea is that really confession and absolution, then, is the thing that flows out of baptism and is that baptism, which 
lots of times we talk about it in the past tense. You know, I was baptized in, uh, you know, 1992 or whatever. Uh, we talk about it in the past tense rather than talking about it in the present ongoing sense in that it's still something that's affecting me. And the way that it affects me and, and does those things is as I confess my sins and receive absolution. That's really baptism at work in me uh, day in and day out. So, Yeah, so don't, don't pull a Constantine, <clears throat> folks. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Instead, rejoice in the gift that God has given you in baptism, and then learn from the Bible what it means to live in and from your baptism. Which well, I can't help myself say one more thing about this. I don't know if we'll get to it in another episode or today, but the 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 the, the baptism comes to full fruition, and I, I struggle with the right way to say it. So just have mercy on me. But baptism's full fr- fruition, or the the end time benefits, of course, will be the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Now, before, the, before that day comes, before Judgment Day comes, we have this life on this earth to live. And so the small catechism asks the question, and it's so important. We hinted at this the last time we talked in, in one of our previous episodes. This is so important because baptism has meaning for your life, all your life, until you're dead and buried, or if Judgment Day comes first. And what is it? it, it, it what does such baptizing with water mean for your daily life? I know many people memorized it. What does it indicate? Well, I like to say it differently. What does such baptizing with water mean for my daily life? And the Catechism says, well, it means that the old Adam, that's our sinful nature, in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. And that the new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. It's death, death to sin, resurrection to new life, faith in Jesus Christ. So every day then, repented and faith is living in and from your baptism. Right. And I think this is just to bring it into what we actually do in our our church life. This is... uh, why it's important for us to think about baptism not as I was baptized a long time ago, but rather I am baptized right now. We even have the hymn that you know, we teach our kids to sing that teaches that, that way of speaking. I am baptized into Christ, oh, yeah, God's yeah. own child, I gladly say it. Uh, and, and that's really a key thing, and a thing for us to understand is each day that promise is true for me and for you, listeners. You are the child of God because you are baptized right now, just like... Um, you might have joined a, a club. Maybe when you were a kid, your parents signed you up for the uh, Daughters of the American Revolution, and now you are in that club all the days of your life, whether you've asked to be or not. And in that sense, baptism works the same way. You are baptized, and God is giving his gifts to you um, throughout all the days of your life. And that means that you are going to fight against your sin. Did you hear what I just said? Baptism does not give you the free license to sin. That's the abuse of holy baptism. And I know this is the constant objection to the biblical teaching on baptism. Oh, so you, Pastor Coleman, you're saying, so now that I'm baptized, I can do anything I want. Wrong. Living in and from your baptism means that you're going to fight against your evil desires, your old Adamic self. Paul says this in Romans 6. Let me tell you, folks, listen. Paul says, we were therefore buried with him, namely Jesus, through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The new life is the life of saying, I'm going to fight against my old Adam. I'm going, with God's help, the old Adam is going to daily be put to death 
I'm not going to purposely want to sin. And why am I saying this? This is because this is the issue that Paul had to deal with with the Christians at Rome. They were all like Voltaire, the French philosophe. You remember, folks? These, these early Christians at Rome were like Voltaire. Voltaire said, and I'm paraphrasing Voltaire, he said, you know what? I live in the best of both worlds. I'm a sinner. I love to sin. God loves to forgive sin, so I'm going to keep on sinning. What a great gig. And I'm paraphrasing. And the, the early Christians in Rome said, you know, same thing. And Paul says, no, shall we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? And the answer is, no way. And then he takes them to their baptism where they were buried with Christ into his death and raised with him in the likeness of Christ's resurrection so that they can fight against their sinful nature. And I think, um, and you, you tell me if I'm wrong here, I don't think we have to go back to Voltaire to see that idea <laughs> taking place. I think there's No, some, he's one of my favorite foils, right. though, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we have some church denominations that teach us that now, right? So um, when we're dealing with marriage issues, you know, living together, homosexuality, rather than repenting of that and confessing it as sin, uh, we're taught now to embrace it and let it become our identity um, because— Christ died for sin, and so why don't you just sin it up and let him uh, do so for you? And uh, that's a real challenge, and it actually is unscriptural. And then to be fair, all those churches that teach that, of course, don't believe that the whole Bible is actually God's Word at all. Yeah, let's, let's push Romans 6 for all that it's worth in the time we have remaining here in this, in this episode. Again, to repeat, the context of Romans 6 is that the Christians in Rome are saying, you know what? Let's keep on sinning so that God can forgive us all the more. And Paul says, no way. He says, by no means. In the Greek, you know, I'll, you correct me if I'm wrong. It's may geneta. May it never be, Paul says in the Greek there. Yes, it is that. May it never be. Now, white trash, redneck, Nebraska talk would be vul- a very vulgar way of saying, and I can't say it on the radio. But nonetheless, may it never be. Now, notice, let's just, let's just skip ahead. Um, look at verse 12 of Romans 6. This is what it means to live in and from your baptism. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Are you understanding what Paul's point is, folks? If you, you who are baptized into Christ Jesus, you are, you are now given to live a new life. And part of this new life as a believer in Jesus Christ is to fight daily against your old Adamic sinful flesh that it be put to death every day. You see how radical this is? Radical meaning I'm, I'm the, the Latin for radical is radix, which means we get to the root of the issue. The root of the issue of living in and from your baptism is not so that I have permission to sin, I have the freedom to sin. No, that is the abuse of holy baptism. And I, I think the way the catechism says it, that the old Adam may daily drown and die uh, so the new man may rise, I love the way that it puts that because you know, if you picture it actually taking place where you are trying to drown someone in water, you know, I know your your uh, arm's injured right now, Pastor Kuhlman, but if I grabbed you uh, and tried to hold your head underwater, you'd fight and scream and kick and push back, and that's the exact <laughs> same thing. I'd still win, of course, but that's the exact same thing your sinful nature does as it's being drowned in uh, the waters of baptism, and that's why it is that fight that you're talking about. What does it's, such, pardon me, Clint, but what does such baptizing with water mean for everyday life? Read Romans 6, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, 
but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. By the way, members, I think it means more than just your hands. I think it means more than just your eyes. I think it means more than your feet. I think Paul is talking about another member of your body. And if you're a man, I'm talking about a member that hangs between your legs. I think he has this in mind as well. And I'm saying this because we, as you indicated earlier, Adam, generally speaking, the Protestant church in America has has said, you can do anything you want with a member that hangs between your legs with anybody you want. It's no big deal. You can sin all you want with it. And Paul is saying, don't let, a mem- don't let that part of your body do reign and lead you into sin. When we use the term church militant, we are almost always referring to the church corporately fighting against false doctrine corporately. Is this another way to look at the church militant, that every member of the church has this daily war, this daily battle, this daily fight against the devil, the world, and our flesh? Yes, and Luther used the term uh, uh, fighting faith. I'm trying to remember the uh, the Latin, pugnati, or pug- I forget the yeah, Latin. Yeah, that would pugilism yeah, for right, boxing. Yeah, right, right. Uh, And that's the point. I I hope this has been helpful for you, folks. We'll come back after the break, so hang on tight. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Hey, welcome back to Table Talk. And this really is your healthy theological radio addiction. I mean, this is the antidote for all the bad theology that goes out there in the world. Just listen to our program. The, I, we can be that audacious and say such a thing. The, the virus that you want to catch and never get rid of? <laughs> exactly. This truly is. It's called Lutheranism. By the way, you know, we, we spoke about a Constantine who waited to be baptized until he was on his deathbed because, you know, if, if he repented too early, well, he might commit some sins afterwards and end up in hell, which, of course, is just nonsense. Boy, what, what a horrible way to live, you know, seriously. Now, but then, so we mentioned Augustine, or pardon me, Constantine. How about Jerome? Let's throw Jerome out. It was Jerome who taught. You know, he did that. You're, you're a better historian than I am, Clint. You know, he, he, was, a, he was a biblical scholar, wasn't he? Yeah, transla- translated uh, the Vulgate. And uh, you see these pictures of uh, Jerome translating, and there's always a lion yeah, sitting yeah, yeah. at his feet. Yeah. He's, he is considered one of the four major pillars of that medieval early Christian church, uh, a lion in the faith. And Jerome, despite all of the good things with Jerome, there was a significant fault line with Jerome. And it has to do with our topic that we've been talking about for the last several months, baptism. Jerome taught that, yeah, you get baptized, but... Uh, Baptism is like uh, being on a ship. But then, you know, when you sin after baptism, you, you shipwreck the ship. And all you've got, you've got to hang on to a plank. Your baptism doesn't mean anything anymore. So after your baptism, baptism means nothing. So you look for a plank uh, from the shipwreck. And lo and behold, the plank is called penance. The second plank. The second. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, folks, let me tell you. You don't realize 
the, uh, the bad theological viruses that are affecting theology every day in your life. You don't even realize that you've probably been Jeromed and you've never heard of Jerome in your life. <laughs> and what am I talking about? Well, you've been Jeromed if you've, if you've been taught to believe, whether through it's a false preacher or on your own, that, you know, okay, I got baptized. Yeah, I guess that was good for that day. But after that, my baptism has no meaning for my life whatsoever. Well, guess what? You've just been Jeromed. You've just now become a medieval Christian. And so at the time of the Lutheran Reformation, if you're interested, folks, just read the large catechism on baptism. And, and Luther brings this entire topic up, and he brings Jerome up, etc. And he brings it up also with regard to confession and absolution as well, where Jerome is totally wrong. The Bible does not teach that once you're baptized, that's the day of your baptism. That's, that's all that matters with regard to baptism. After your life of baptism, well, you've got to move on to something else. The Bible teaches that the, the folks who are baptized always live in and from their baptism every day. And then when they die, we will wait for the culmination of baptism with the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. You see, don't ever be euchred or be jeromed on this. So again, to repeat, I'm, I'm piggybacking on what we said last time before the break. Romans 6 teaches us that the proper use of baptism, the proper way of living in and from baptism, is to be repented by the Lord Jesus Christ for your sin, and then to trust or to be faithed through the preaching of the gospel that Jesus Christ has died for you and all your sins are forgiven. So if you want to, brothers and sisters, you want to make progress in your Christian life? Huh? We all do, don't we? How do you do it? You're repented by the Lord. And your faith by him in the, in the gospel. That's making progress in your life. Yeah, but pastor, it's not changing my life one bit. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Every time that you, you believe in Jesus, that's part of the new creation going on. This is part of the new life that Paul describes in Romans 6. And I think this is something that we don't practically do very well in our world today. And this is where, you know... Uh, private confession absolution has disappeared, and that's exactly the place where that happens, where we repent and receive absolution. Uh, we need to take better advantage of that and not be so afraid of it. I think we are afraid of it, right? But it's really the baptism uh, within us at work throughout all the days of our life, and we ought to look forward to it and use it uh, more more properly. Um, and this is, you know, we talk about this as well. The baptism makes our faith alive. That brings us back to church to hear the word over and over again each week uh, at the opportunities it's presented and to come and to receive the Lord's Supper again. And so, in other words, our baptism makes us alive to receive the sacraments and live in them throughout all the days of our earthly life to look forward to the life that is to come. This, this, this finally gets it, I think, to this, Mark 16, 16. <laughs> you believe and you're baptized, you're saved. This is what it means to live in and from your baptism. Trust the Lord and his promises. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I've sinned. I've blown it. I admit it. I'm telling the truth. But Jesus promises that I'm saved. I'm saved. He promises this, Mark 16, 16. Paul, Paul preaches it in Titus 3. Peter teaches it in 1 Peter 3. All, all the passages that yeah. we've been looking at. Acts 2, Acts 22, etc. Pastor, um, you know, you're, you're much more of a Reformation scholar than uh, Pastor Moline and I. Well, at least I'll speak for myself. The, um, the context of 
the 95 theses, and we know that in 1517, Luther, Luther is not mature, and he, he's still working out some things. But number one, right out the of the first game, thesis, what is he talking about the, the people here who want to wait to repent until near the end of their life to be baptized? Is he talking about this, this uh, uh, Augustine, Jerome, sanative understanding of baptism? Is he talking about all of those things? That, that first thesis of the 95 thesis seems to me to be so key as to unlocking all of the theology of Luther that's going to follow. Yeah, so just in case our hearers or listeners don't uh, know what you're talking about. We're talking about the first thesis from the 95 Number thesis one. posted, which I'm going to paraphrase. Luther says, the entire life of the Christian is one of repentance. This is Luther. Luther's discovered from the scriptures that the heart, the heart of the Bible is called repentance. And it's not just a one-time occurrence in your life. It's a daily thing. And secondly, and probably most importantly, is that repentance is passive voice many times in the scripture, namely that it's the Lord doing it to you through the word of the law. He's repenting you. And then the most important part of repentance, depending on how you define it, and the Bible does it several ways, is, uh, yeah, it's confession of sin. That's part of repentance. But there's another definition, of part, part uh, definition is, is faith. Okay, faith. And even the Lord does that through the, the preaching of the gospel. Luther has discovered this. And this is what sets him free and then says, let's debate indulgences upon the biblical teaching that the daily life of the Christian is always one of repentance, not just one time in your life, but every day in your life. Now, how does this impact indulgences? And Luther is essentially saying, guess what? Indulgences is a lie. Because remember, what really shocked Luther uh, not what just John Tetzel, you know, when the coin in the coffin rings, the, the soul from purgatory springs. What really, what really hacked Luther off was with the selling of indulgences, people were then, uh, I don't need to repent. I bought an indulgence. I'm good. And it didn't go to the heart. Luther was always, let's get to the heart of the issue. Has your heart been repented in faith? And the people were saying, no, I went to the priest in another diocese and I bought an indulgence. And so uh, my grandfather, he's, he's in heaven. I, we sprung him from purgatory. He didn't repent or he wasn't faith, but I, I bought it. I bought it. And that really hacked Luther off. And that's why he posted the 95 Theses. Man, that really got him twerked. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's important for us to, to point out that, you know, the earliest of early Luther, this issue of repentance and how it fits and how it connects into the Christian life, what it has to do with baptism, if anything, this is, this is at the forefront of, of everything that's going on. And even to this day, this is what distinguishes Bible-believing confessional Lutherans from all the other isms that are out there. Right. Final point on this on baptism here is don't get don't get the false impression that if you're baptized that now mean gives you that gives you freedom to sin license to sin not hardly it's just the opposite the baptized believer lives in and from his or her baptism by daily fighting against the world the temptations of the world the temptations of the devil and your old adamic flesh your christian life your baptized life is quite serious it's quite serious. It's a daily search and destroy mission to kill the old Adam. 
to fight against Satan and the world. And that's, that's living in and from your baptism. And then, of course, the most important part of the fight is to not believe the devil's lies. And the devil's lie is, oh, Jesus can't forgive you for that. Look at what you did. Look what you said. That's too big for our Lord's forgiveness. And so part of living in from your baptism here is to say, the devil, you're a liar. You're a liar. Jesus promises whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. I'm going to trust him, not you. You're a liar. You're a murderer. I'll trust the Lord who died for me. And don't think that that uh, fight and that battle is one that you're on your own with. That's what being a part of the church is. All these other members of the church are here to be with you as you face these challenges, as you deal with your sin, as you confess and are forgiven. You're not alone. Uh, And so be a part of a church that actually believes these things and will stand with you and help you as you deal with these challenges of sin. Yeah. So next time you're at a baptism, next time you see a baptism, Oh, give thanks to God. Because what's God doing? God is giving the person who's being baptized his divine and saving name. God is actually doing the baptism. Whoever is baptized in God's name is baptized by God himself. What God's doing, what God's giving, is certain and sure. And so that, that's why we baptize according to Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. The pastor says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it's done with water. How much the Lord doesn't say, but you use water and you know that the person's baptized. Yeah, but what if they don't believe, Reverend? I hear that all the time. What if they don't believe? Nonetheless, they're still baptized. They They can come. Faith simply receives what the Lord gives. So if the person doesn't believe it when they're baptized, later on they can come and say, oh, my word, I was baptized. Is that what that means? Wonderful. Wonderful. Faith doesn't make baptism. I'm, I'm rambling here, but you know how Kuhlman is. Don't, don't be euchred into thinking that faith is what makes baptism a baptism. No, faith simply receives what the Lord gives in holy baptism. And what he gives is the forgiveness of sins as we boldly confess in the Nicene Creed. I believe in one baptism for the remission of sins. That's Acts 2. It is, and that is, uh, that is a uh, dividing line for many people who step into our churches, they cannot pray that line in the Nicene Creed because yeah. they don't believe in baptism, the benefits of baptism, the benefits that God attaches to Because they're Gnostics. They're Gnostics. Remember what Gnostics believe? Like Zwingli? Like Calvin? <laughs> the, the tangible cannot contain... The infinite. The, the infinite. Yeah, or the, the uh, uh, earthly, creaturely things cannot convey divine, spiritual things. That's a Gnostic. Now, if you, if you actually believe that, folks, then you know what you have to deny? You have to deny, you have to deny the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, seriously, this is no joke. Those of you who are out there and you are listening to this program, and if you, if you contend that God cannot give divine spiritual things through water and the word, like forgiveness, life, and salvation, if you make that contention, then I'm, I'm telling you, you need to be consistent And you now have to deny the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have to deny Christianity as a whole. 1 John 4 makes that abundantly clear. If you deny that Jesus came into the flesh, you are of Antichrist. Well, that's that. We've talked about that before, but just keep that stuff in mind. Thanks for listening, folks. Stay Lutheran, my friends. Truth may vary this ship will carry our body safe to shore.